Well, we're scattered. <laughs> Just like I broadcasted some uh, grass seed yesterday, it's scattered. <laughs> well, I tell you one thing. The last three days I have enjoyed the sunlight. If you live in Kentucky and have solar-powered whatever, it don't work in the wintertime. <laughs> we don't get enough sun to make it work. But I have enjoyed the last three days in here. Let's begin our service by taking a hymnal. Turn to hymn number 489, and we're going to sing about heavenly sunlight. Hymn number 489. Betty, if you would, please. Walking in sunlight all of my journey. Over the mountains, through the deep vale, Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee. Promise divine that never can fail. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing. Singing His praises, Jesus is mine. Shadows around me, shadows above me, never conceal my Savior and God. He is the light, in Him is no darkness. Ever I'm walking close to His side. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, Flooding my soul with glory divine. I am rejoicing, singing His praises. Jesus is mine. In the bright sunlight, ever rejoicing, pressing my way to mansions above. Singing his praises, gladly I'm walking, walking in sunlight, sunlight of love. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises. Jesus is mine. Now I just turn back a few pages to hymn number 473. <clears throat> hymn number 473. Just a closer walk with thee. We're going to stand on the last verse. This will be our offertory hymn. Hymn number 473. Uh, we're just a closer walk with thee. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea, daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be, through this world of toil and snares, if I fall to Lord who is my plea, daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Stand with us on the last verse, if you would, please. When my feeble life is worn, time for 
army will be no more. Guide me gently, safely o'er to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Just a closer walk with thee. Is my plea daily walking close to thee? Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to come to your house and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for those that are here tonight. We pray for Brother Daniel as he brings us a message. We pray for the voice of praise as they are ministering tonight. We pray, Lord, for this offering that it may be used to glorify your kingdom. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Betty. Thank you so much, Gene. Uh, we have a video here, an IMB video from the missions going on. Africa has long been associated with stereotypical imagery of exotic animals, remote landscapes, and thatch huts. But the people of Sub-Saharan Africa are rapidly redefining the reality of what life is like on the world's second largest continent. This region is comprised of 44 independent nations found south of the Sahara Desert. One billion Africans living in these countries come from over 2,500 distinct ethnic groups, each with their own unique cultures and languages. Yet generally, people across the continent are hardworking, resilient, and generous. They value relationships, community, and respect. Ministering in this massive, populous region doesn't come without challenges. Some of them are logistical challenges, like accessing hard-to-reach places, living in difficult conditions, political instability and corruption, the over 2,000 different African languages, and lack of education. Other challenges include misguided attitudes and teachings, like dependency on aid and the false prosperity gospel. The majority of Africans claim to follow animism, Islam or Christianity. However, in practice, many Muslims and Christians continue to hold on to their animistic traditions out of fear, confusion, and societal pressures. In spite of this, we're seeing the church continue to grow. In fact, it's estimated that by 2050, 38% of the world's professing Christians will be in Sub-Saharan Africa. This estimate is due to Africa's explosive population growth, most evident in the region's congested cities and megacities. 60% of Sub-Saharan Africans will soon be living in urban areas. 
This unprecedented growth provides numerous opportunities for gospel proclamation and Christian service, such as discipling believers, partnering with existing churches, training leaders and pastors, reaching unreached peoples and cities, ministering to refugees, meeting human needs, and planting churches among the unreached and in extreme places. Join us as we face the challenges and take the opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus along the remote, dusty footpaths and throughout the noisy, urban streets of sub-Saharan Africa. That was a great video. Uh, the IMB, that is of the International Mission Board of our convention, they uh, produce, for, they have uh, I think uh, six, seven different regions of the world that they have uh, uh, clusters in. And the, what's interesting about uh, Sub-Saharan Africa is that is one of the, it and East Asia, the two fastest growing areas of Christianity in the world. Uh, Christianity is on fire in that section, uh, section of the world. Now what's interesting about that, they talked about the uh, false prosperity gospel. That is very common in that region. And um, our college ministry here, starting Wednesday, they're doing secret church. Secret church is something started by David Platt, and uh, they had their they do it once a year, usually in April, and they met in Nashville this past uh, Friday night. So it's a simulcast. So we're showing it at Miss Nancy Crawford's house the next three Wednesday nights for the college students. And what's interesting about that is they talked about the prosperity gospel and the false gospel because that is so uh, common and prevalent. The false gospel is a belief that God wants to bless you and make your life wonderful. And it's, uh, it's a simple, a positive, maybe feel-good message, and it's really all about you. And you're the sinner, and God wants you to do well and you to succeed. So that's what a lot of folks in Africa have certainly bought into, and that's what a lot of our missionaries, our IMB missionaries, certainly um, encounter over there. I want to show that because they just came out with those. We are, um, uh, you know, we've been collecting for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. If you have your, uh, I know Easter is over, what, three, four weeks ago, but we are almost at $6,000. Now, you think, well, that's not a lot, but last year we collected 11400 But do you know that was an all-time world record for our church, 11400 The our, our, In our 67-year history up until last year, our Best ever Annie Armstrong offering was $6,700. So we're only about seven, dollars $800 away from our second best ever Annie Armstrong offering. So that's very encouraging for our church to certainly give to Annie Armstrong. We collected over $20,000 for Lottie Moon. So we are a missions-giving church. It's something that's in our DNA, and we support our two mission boards of uh, NAM as well as the IMB. Uh, open your Bible to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7. On our Sunday evenings, we are going through expository preaching. Expository preaching means you are going verse by verse and you're expounding what the scriptures say. Topical preaching or teaching is where you take a topic and then you pull the Bible verses that you want to fit that topic. Now, the, the problem with topical preaching, I'll tell you the criticisms of both these types of preaching. Expository preaching gets criticized as what you call running commentary. Running commentary is you read the scripture, you explain this verse, explain this verse. It's just like a reading a Bible commentary. You just explain everything, and you walk away and you think, well, there's what, where's the application? What does this mean? How does this apply to me in 2018? Topical preaching is equally as dangerous because you can pick any topic in the world, and then you can just pull random Bible verses to fit that topic. And the problem with that is you can, in many ways, make the Bible say whatever you want to say. You can pull stuff out of context. You can uh, pull a verse here, a verse there. And whatever you want to communicate, you can certainly do that. So <clears throat> good, balanced preaching incorporates both expository preaching and, at times, topical preaching. There's a time that you need topical preaching. And there's also time uh, that you certainly need expository preaching. So, but this is what we call an expositional message, or sermon series here on Sunday nights. We are going through the entire account of Luke. And then after that, we'll hit Acts. And we're seeing the picture 
of what Jesus is trying to communicate with us. So I want you to turn Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 50. It's a big section. We're going to break it down into three sections tonight. We're going to look at John the Baptist. We're going to look how Jesus, how he predicted an unresponsive generation. It sounds like that today. And not only that, we're going to talk about how Jesus here uh, met a woman who gave him an alabaster a jar anointed him, and he forgave her of her sins, and he was criticized for that. But we're um, certainly going to see what the Lord's doing here. Verse 18. Now, uh, hindsight on this. John the Baptist, he had a short ministry. He pops on the scene there in Luke chapter 3. He preached a gospel of repentance. He baptized people there in the Jordan River. He baptized Jesus. Then he turned his attention. He preached against the sins of Herod. And that's where the end came for him. He got thrown in jail in Luke 3.20. He didn't make it very far because Herod stole his brother's wife. And John the Baptist says that is sin. That is wrong. You, do not, you should not be stealing someone else's wife. So he boldly preached against it and it got him locked up. Verse 18, so look now, what I think is powerful about this passage here, I, um, I think about a year ago I preached on this on a Sunday morning, and here's why I like this passage we're coming to so much. Have you ever had someone say something bad about you? <laughs> it's almost a joke. Of course you have. Where someone just, they, um, they didn't speak very highly about you. And what's our natural response? We naturally, somebody speaks bad about you, the first thing you want to do is you want to hit back. I mean, I once heard President Trump on his campaign day say, you know, he only hits when you hit him first. He only strikes back when he gets hit. Now, the problem with that is that is not what, that might be the way you do politics today, but that's not at all what we're going to see here with Jesus. Jesus got hit. John the Baptist is about to say something here, and his perspective is going to be warped. And do you know Jesus says, is about to say the kindest thing in the world that anyone could say about a human being. Now, John the Baptist, remember he's in prison. When you're in prison, your perspective of the world changes. What I mean by that is, you don't really know what's going on. The little pod you talk to and associate with, if you get to associate with those prisoners, that's your only world. So you think that what the people you're surrounded with, that's just the whole world, when in fact it's not at all. You're surrounded by prisoners. They're criminals. Well, they probably aren't criminals, but uh, like in John, John the Baptist's case, he wasn't in a criminal hall. He did is boldly proclaim Christ, and he found himself locked up. For whatever reason, they're in jail with that. So John the Baptist is going to find himself in a situation in life where he's isolated. When you're isolated, that's a dangerous time to make a major decision. Because you don't really, you don't have people uh, giving you uh, real-world advice, giving you a good perspective, a good healthy uh, perspective on life. And John the Baptist is about to say something about Jesus that he's very isolated in this predicament that he finds himself in behind bars. So then Jesus is going to pick up on this, and he's going to say something about John. So that's our story we're going to see here. Verse 18, then John's disciples. So John had his own disciples. Everybody's got some disciples. Told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples. So apparently what happened, John is sitting in jail, and his disciples were apparently able to come and do visitation and basically give him the news report. And the news report is everything Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is healing these people. Jesus is uh, helping folks. But what John didn't understand, now think about it. There's one thing, if you are in jail, and I've never been to jail, but I've spoke to people who are in jail. People in jail want one thing. And what do they want? They want out. They want out of jail. So John's sitting in jail. He baptized Jesus. He's boldly preaching against the sins of Herod. So then he gets thrown in jail. And here Jesus' ministry is just flourishing and blind people are getting their sight. Great things occurring. 
And he's sitting there thinking, well, if Jesus is so great, why on earth am I sitting in jail? He should be getting me out of jail. He should become the king of Israel if he can raise dead people, and he should free me. That's what he's thinking. Because we're about to see this. He's sitting behind bars, and he's having, beginning to have his doubts. You know, doubts, when you're isolated, doubts seep in. When you're in a place you don't want to be, it's easy to become a doubter. When, when bad things are happening, it's easy to start having doubt. <clears throat> so, that's what's occurring here with John the Baptist. So he's summoning his disciples. And two of them come in verse 19, and he sent them to the Lord. They sent them to Jesus, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? What an insult. Jesus, are you the one, or is somebody else coming behind you? This is the same man who looked at Jesus as he was entering the baptism waters and said, Look, the Lamb of God. He had boldly proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. He's the one that looked at Jesus and says, I don't need to be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. He knew his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. And then he asked him this question. Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus, is there someone better behind you that we should be looking for? That's an insult to Jesus. It's showing doubt from John that here I am, isolated in jail, and, and Jesus, you've, you've forgotten about me. Do you know John never gets out of jail? He's never released. When he gets locked up in Luke 3.20, he never comes home. His next time he goes to jail, he gets his head cut off. He comes out on a silver platter at Herod's party. We'll see that later on. So that's the question he asked here. Is someone else to come? Verse 20. When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And then here in Luke chapter 7, verse 21, it says, At that time, look at this, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to us. So here's Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't want to answer questions how, you, how John would want to answer. This is what he says. He replied to them, Go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. We saw last Sunday evening how a dead person was raised. And the poor are told the good news. That's the word gospel, the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. That last phrase there kind of reminds Joseph, John, don't be offended by me if I don't meet your expectations. If I don't offend you, you're, you'll receive a blessing from me. After John's messengers left, he began, and this is what I love about Jesus. John, Jesus is about to talk about John. So, John's messengers come here, and they're going to go back to the jail, and they're going to report, says, well, John, you know, Jesus says, lame people are walking again, people are blind, folks are getting their sight, great things are happening, leprosy's being cured, and in fact, dead people are getting raised, and just, just you're blessed if you're not offended by them. So they leave. And I think what's happening here is there's a, there's a sense of doubt over who Jesus is. Because remember, there's other people. John's messengers show up publicly and say, Hey, are you the one or should we expect someone else? We're talking about the Messiah. Verse 24. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? 
A man dressed in soft clothes, that means nice clothes. See those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? Like, what, why did all you people who are here talking to me, why did all of you go to the Jordan River and receive John's baptism? Something drew you out in the wilderness. And it wasn't because he had a royal and nice clothes and he was nicely dressed and he was a good speaker. Something else drew you out there. What was it? What was it? In verse 26, a prophet. Yes, I'll tell you, more than a prophet. He is the one about whom it is written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. That there is a prophecy out of Malachi 3.1. Jesus is affirming John's ministry, saying John's purpose was actually to prepare the way for me. In fact, it's prophesied about that in the Old Testament. Now look at this statement here in verse 28. This is amazing what Jesus is about to say. Now you think of all the people that's ever lived. Abraham, Moses, Joseph, David, all these people, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the great prophets, even Adam, the first man. Look what Jesus says about John. You know, we don't give John the, the level of stature that he deserves, but look what Jesus is about to say about this man. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Jesus just said, of all the people ever born, John the Baptist was the greatest man ever to live. There he is. Who's the, other than Jesus Christ, the greatest man ever to live was John the Baptist. And then he goes on to add, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And do you know what that means? That means someone who gets saved. Someone who the kingdom of God is ushering in. Those who become believers of Jesus Christ. Because John's ministry ended the old covenant. John was a prophet. And he baptized people in the name of repentance. It was the old covenant baptism. They would come there and they would repent of their sins and they would receive John's baptism. And his whole purpose was to close that canon, to close the Old Testament there. And all of a sudden, we're preparing for someone new. And what Jesus was saying here, all from the time of Adam, the starting here in Genesis 1, and getting Adam all the way up to John, that canon, Old Testament, is now closed. That's why he's the greatest man. Of all the prophets, he's the greatest. And John was a prophet, Jesus said. But then those, even the least in the kingdom, the man who gets saved on his deathbed, is greater than he. Meaning, those who trust in the, the Messiah, as their Savior, are even more blessed. They're in the kingdom of God because they've seen and they've experienced Jesus Christ. John didn't get that. Yes, he baptized Jesus. He was born before Jesus, but he was locked up. John the Baptist's entire purpose was to baptize Jesus, transfer the Messiah into the new covenant, John's brief ministry, he gets locked up, and then he gets martyred. And Jesus says, this is the greatest man who's ever lived. But those that put the trust in me are even better. So we, even though John the Baptist is the greatest man to ever live, we as born-again believers, we're actually greater than John because we're in the new covenant. Jesus here is acknowledging the canon was closed here from the Old Testament. And there was a shift that was made. Verse 29. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, meaning the wicked heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness. People loved John. Because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves 
and what that meant there. They rejected the plan of God. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. His plan was to end the Old Testament and to begin the New Testament with Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees, they could not accept that. They did not accept that, that John was able to point to Jesus as the Messiah. They agreed with everything about John the Baptist, except John believing in Jesus. And I want to say, this is, tying this in with today, this is just like today. We can't pick and choose what we want to believe about the Scriptures. <clears throat> I follow, I remember, I'm, I'm from Alabama. And we had, I went to Sanford University. And I graduated from Sanford in 2001. I was a, was a religion major. Well, behind me there was this girl. Her name was um, uh, Deidre. And she was, um, she was one year behind me. Well, she uh, um, graduated in 2002. Well, when she was a senior, I had just graduated, but I was aware who she was. She won the Miss Alabama pageant, which is a little pageant, you know, just like, you know, Miss Kentucky comes and speaks here at our church in January. Well, she was Miss Alabama. Well, that meant she got to go compete in Miss America. Well, in 2000, Anyway, it was a year or two after she graduated. She went on to, she won Miss Alabama. Then like the next year, you get to go on and could participate in Miss America. Well, she went to Miss America pageant, representing our state back then. Well, she won. <laughs> she became Miss America. Well, and she was someone, I was aware who she was. We, we had gone to school together, and she went to a Baptist church, and, um, uh, not, you know, I was familiar, I knew of the church, and um, she ma later married somebody there uh, that uh, we had gone to school with, and uh, she got married. Well, then she, got, she stayed married five or six or seven years or so, and then she got divorced. And then her name came up, and, you know, I forgot, you know, she, you know time, people just move on, you forget. Well, I saw on the news uh, last week that she got married, this past week, or like a week ago, but it finally made this week's news. But the problem was, this girl married another woman, not a man. It was a homosexual marriage. Well, that's just floored me, because I'm thinking, I know who this person was. This person went to a Baptist church. This person went to the same school I went to. This person heard the same sermons in chapel that I heard. I was sitting in one pew. She's sitting in another pew. How on earth could someone who's going to the same school, the same preaching, the same chapel services, how does someone, one person, end up here like me, who's a Bible-believing Christian, and the other person, they've gone the polar opposite? Well, what happened is, that's what's happening here. The Pharisees, they heard, listen to this, don't miss this, this is very important. They heard John's preachings. They went down and witnessed the baptism. They're fully aware of everything that, why John is locked up, because he rightfully preached against Herod. And they acknowledge that. But then John also pointed to the Messiah. And they did not believe that. Those Pharisees heard and witnessed the same thing that Jesus and his disciples witnessed. The same old preaching, same old everything, same old Bible, same old prophets, yet one's a believer and one's not. This happens today. If we don't fully accept all the whole counsel of God, when it says this right here, listen Broadway, look at this. And the people, verse 29 including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness. They heard it, but they didn't acknowledge it. The Pharisees heard it, or they, these people, the tax collectors heard it, and they did acknowledge it. They accepted it. They accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They accept, believed and responded to John's baptism. The Pharisees heard it too, same old sermons, 
but they did not acknowledge it. What the Bible's telling us here is we could have one young man grow up in this church and sit here right on this pew, and we could have a young lady sit here right on this pew, and they could hear the same old sermons, the same old youth pastor, the same old things over and over and over again at Broadway, and they can actually grow up and be completely different. And do you know what will make them completely different? Their belief on this book. The Pharisees did not accept what John said. They heard it, but they did not agree with it. That's why someone can listen to God's Word being preached and taught, but if they're back of their mind thinking, well, you know, that's what he believes, that's what I was taught growing up, that's what the Bible says, that's just a perspective on the Scripture, they will grow up and they will live their life and believe completely different than someone who accepts everything in this book. That's why that young lady, who's a year younger than me, is now married, unfortunately, to a woman and is spiritually lost. We are surrounded by people who are just like this. John the Baptist taught and affirmed Jesus because here he, does, he did have doubts in Jesus. But we have to remember, he also confessed him as the Lamb of God. He also baptized him because he recognized he wasn't even worthy to baptize him. Who am I to untie even your sandals, Jesus? I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. But in prison, he had his doubts. When we find ourselves isolated alone and we're struggling with doubt, the great thing about our Lord is he speaks to us. When we say the lowest thing, when we disappoint the Lord the most, he comes to us. And he encourages us the most. Jesus said something about John that no one else in the history of man can be said about. He was the greatest man born of a woman. So that is why. So how can you, how, you always wonder, how can you have two children who were raised in the same church, under the same house, yet be completely different people? How is that possible? It is centered on whether or not everything comes down to do you believe and do you live by what God's Word says? Are you built and rooted in the Bible? This morning, we had, I went down and spoke to our, we have a new and nearly new members class. And I know some of the folks even here tonight are in that class. And I'm blessed we have that class. Skip Stevens teaches that class. I came in after Brother Hurd, and we, every person came in and spoke for about 10 or 12 minutes. And I told the folks there, I said, you're, you're now at a church that is rooted and built on the Bible. If there's one thing that's going to characterize who Broadway is, it's this book. We have an uncompromising passion and desire. It says this is, this is our foundation. This is what we're rooted in. Even among our culture with a shaky ground, and we are surrounded by shaky culture, we are a church built and rooted on Scripture. Moving along here, look at the unresponsive generation. Luke chapter 7, verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? So Jesus is going to make a... Com so he's realizing, these Pharisees, they're not, they don't believe me. Jesus had the same problem we do today. There's this unresponsive, people just aren't responding. They just don't believe. And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. Meaning, it didn't matter what I do. If I play a flute, you don't dance. If I sing a sad song, you don't even shed a tear. Like, I can't get any response from the people, is what Jesus is saying. They're an unresponsive group. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread and drinking wine, John the Baptist took a Nazarite vow based on Numbers chapter 6, meaning he didn't eat honey, he didn't drink alcohol, he didn't cut his hair. Samson took the same vow. Now, Samson broke his vow, but he took that vow. So John was one of these uh, interesting guys out in the wilderness. He looked like probably a woolly mammoth out there with just long hair, but he was something else. So he didn't come about eating and drinking wine. And you say to him, he has a demon. 
And do you know why they said John the Baptist had a demon? Because he proclaimed Jesus is the Messiah. He was they're, they're saying, John the Baptist, why on earth would you be proclaiming this man Jesus is the Messiah? In fact, you're demon-possessed, John the Baptist, for saying something like that. Je Jesus, they were trying to say, isn't from God, he's from Satan. That was what the Pharisees were saying of John the Baptist. So then the Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, it doesn't matter who comes to you. If John the Baptist comes to you and proclaims, you claim, you say the guy's demon-possessed. If I show up, you say I'm a drunk and I'm a friend of tax collectors. Either way, we lose. The Pharisees were just shooting down Jesus and John the Baptist. There's no way to please them. And I think what he's trying, the principle we see here is, listen, if someone is spiritually lost, if someone does not know Jesus, they are not going to believe you. It doesn't matter what you say. They have to have a regenerated heart. They have to have a transformation in their life. And then and only then does Christ change them and conform them to the gospel. One of the challenges we expect here in Kentucky, in our wonderful state, we expect folks here in Kentucky, our lost culture, to be uh, uh, line up according to God's Word. Well, they're not. We can't expect an unregenerate Lexington in Kentucky to live by biblical standards. You cannot do that. They will not do it. Jesus says right here, they didn't do it to John, they didn't do it to Jesus, and they're not going to do it to us here at Broadway in 2018. Lost people live like lost people. The only way for them to change is if they have a heart change. That's the message we're seeing here. Now look what verse, main verse right here. Verse 35. Yet wisdom. Now this is, this is an interesting scripture. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. So what does that verse mean? What that scripture verse means, Jesus just said, Do you know my followers and John's followers, you will see the truth. The disciples of Jesus and the disciples of John, you will see how they live. That will be revealed to you soon that they are right. You want to know if someone is a righteous person? Look at their legacy. Yesterday at men's prayer breakfast, we had Keith Madison come. Outstanding. We had a great time. Keith was a godly speaker. I'm excited what's going on at UK basketball with the current coach they have and with Keith Madison. They have, do you know they have Bible study every Tuesday morning? And the, I can't remember the head coach of, of UK basketball. Every morning they have Bible study. And the current head coach, he actually invites the former head coach to their uh, Tuesday morning Bible study. And in the past, I think he said year or two, the head coach has only missed one time. So he is committed to it. I want y'all to know something. That means the head coach of UK basketball or UK baseball is actually more committed to Jesus than some people here at Broadway. I mean, he's committed to it. He comes to Bible study. And they actually, I think he said they baptized six people with their FCA. They baptized six people on the baseball team. And I want you to know what he was sharing about that. This was the legacy he's talking about. Lexington's an interesting city. We're a college town with a large SEC school here. And people come to Lexington. And they come here to play sports. But really, they're home. They don't want to stay in Lexington. They're only here to make it to the big leagues, to make it to the NBA or the NFL. So they're going to come here, if they're basketball here, they're going to come here for one year, and they want to get their skills really good, or maybe two or three years in football, and then they're going to move on. And what Keith Madison was saying, says these people come to our city, and you have a unique opportunity to speak biblical truth in their life at this short window in their time. So that, because a lot of these people are going to, some will go on to be in the pros. And when they become professional athletes, they have a larger-than-life platform where they have Twitter followers. Everywhere they go, they have thousands and hundreds of people hanging on them for their public appearance. They have a microphone in front of their mouth. And you could have people who come out of our city 
boldly proclaiming and pointing people to Jesus. And Keith wanted his legacy to be that he's impacted these young people's lives so when they move on their next season, because they're all going to move, Lexington people just pass through the city. And they're going to pass through, and they need to learn here from our church and other churches that Jesus saves, and he's the most important person. He's even more important than Kentucky athletics. That they get that, and they come to, so they look back on their career here at our city, and they don't just think about winning championships or their batting average or how many points they scored. They think about, you know, I got saved and baptized while I was there in Lexington. That's where I got serious about my faith, or that's where I got my faith in Jesus. And he says, we have a unique opportunity to shape a lot of potential influencers in the sports world. And that's what Keith, he wanted his legacy to be. He talked about how the FCA people, Aaron Hogue and Max Apple, with the baseball and with the basketball FCA folks, are able to speak truth into their life. Now for us, we might not have that type of influence there at the University of Kentucky. We just can't walk in to a baseball meeting and start telling about Jesus. But do you know, you have an influence over your family, over your friends, over your church, your grandchildren. The Bible's saying here, yet wisdom is vindicated by our children. You want to know how righteous a man is? You look at their grandchildren. Look at their kids. Start seeing this man, did he pour as much into his, his family, his children, and his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, as he says he did. Because Jesus is saying, you want to know if I'm true? You're going to soon see my followers. Jesus is saying, you need to be intentional about discipling those who are going to be behind you. What kind of legacy are you going to live? Moving along here, verse 36. This morning you got a short sermon. Tonight you're getting a long sermon. David wasn't here to sing a lot. And Jean had me up here right away. <clears throat> verse 36 here. Now this is a story about the alabaster jar. This story here is very unique because I think this speaks to us, truth to us today because what occurs here is Jesus is going to see this woman and she doesn't just, she, he gets to the root of her problem. And this is the root of problem for all of us. People need to be forgiven. They need to be saved. Verse 36, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. Now this is unusual. After Jesus makes fun of the Pharisees, they invite him to his house. And the reason why they probably invited Jesus is we don't know, but there's probably a couple of reasons. Number one, they were doing to trap him, but it doesn't say that here. They were probably bringing him in there to play a trick on him to see if they could try to trap the, uh, trap the Messiah. Or he is a Nicodemus type, that they're just intrigued by the guy because Jesus knows his Bible. And says, this guy's actually smarter than most of us, and he's pretty good. He's a, he can actually heal people, and he knows his scriptures. So for whatever the reason, it was probably one of those reasons, he's a Nicodemus, or he, he was intrigued by him, or he was a, a Pharisee who wanted to trap him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner, I love that description, she was a sinner, and she found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. So apparently word's getting out that Jesus has gone to this Pharisee's house. So since everybody else is going to this Pharisee's house, this woman feels she can go to the house too. So she shows up and she has an alabaster jar of perfume. She brought the alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. So understand, we would think this is highly awkward, but in Bible times, they didn't have running water at all like we had whatsoever. So you remember, you wore sandals. So your feet were dirty all the time because you didn't get to bathe. You had to go down to the river to take a bath or you had to have servants bring in the water so you just didn't turn the sink or turn the shower and there it washes away. So... This would have been customary that someone's feet, like Jesus' feet, are dirty. So that's expected there. So she's doing this, and she's anointing him with the perfume. 
Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now he's speaking to himself, not to everybody. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And he's also probably mad thinking, why is this woman in my house? I'm letting a prostitute come into my home. Like, we don't, we don't belong here. Or she doesn't belong here in my house. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So remember, he's talking to Peter now. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor has two debitors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. Now think about this. Say you owe somebody $500 and you also owe somebody $50 and you're broke. You have no money at all. But both people come and say, you know what? You're, just don't worry about it. You don't need to pay us back. Just we'll write it off. You just keep your $500 and you keep your $50. And then somebody says, well, which one do you like more, the 50 or the 500, well, naturally you could say, well, the 500. And Jesus says here, you've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, now understand, we haven't even talked to the woman at this point. Do you see this woman? Now remember, Simon didn't say anything about the woman. He's talking to Simon, but he's really speaking to the Pharisee. I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she hasn't anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. So what he just said there is, this woman here, since everybody knows it, it's the elf in the room, she's a sinner. But the reason why she's doing this is because she recognizes she needs a Savior. You know, folks who get saved have lived a, just a wicked, awful life. They realize when that burden, when they come to Jesus and He lifts that burden, there was a lot of hurt that was taken away there. There was a lot of forgiveness that was offered. And Jesus is trying to say here, when he says here, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Self-righteous people, people who feel they've never done anything wrong, they don't feel they need a Savior. They don't need to be forgiven because they're inherently, in their belief, inherently good. And that's what this Pharisee was thinking. And Jesus was saying, the reason why this woman is going to receive forgiveness is because she recognizes she's a sinner. Do you know the greatest problem, I've shared it before, that folks, the reason why folks don't get saved today is because no one thinks they're lost. You can't find lost people today. No one thinks they're wrong because the world doesn't condemn them. No one, nowhere, if you go tell someone they're a sinner, they look at you and say you're a bigot. You're a, that's offensive. It's, you're hurting everybody's feelings. That's the response you get. You're the problem, not them, because you said that. Who gives you the right to tell me I'm a sinner? Well, that was what was going on here. This woman realized the, way, the first step to salvation, you have to realize you're lost and in need of a Savior. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Jesus didn't say, Woman, go repent. He just forgave her. He had the authority to forgive her sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman believed that Jesus could save her. That Jesus could forgive her. She came to him broken. Realizing he was her only hope. And he forgave her. We have to believe, no matter what any sin someone has committed, Jesus Christ can forgive, can cleanse, and make them new again. That is the hope for our city, and our state, and our nation, and the world. We need to be convictional believers that any opportunity we see, that we can share the good news, 
that we can teach a lost and dying world who's in need of forgiveness that Jesus saves. The takeaway we see here, this uninvited woman didn't come to the party. Why did she come to this party? She didn't care about the party. She wanted Jesus. She came there and said, just give me Jesus. I don't care about your party. I don't even care whose house I'm in. I'm here for one man. That's what we present to folks. We're a church that shares Jesus. Not only that, we must meet other people's need for forgiveness as Jesus did. There's a lot of folks that come to our church. We have visitors. We have visitors this morning. I met a lady who um, uh, her child goes to Wellington Elementary, and they knew Esther, our little daughter. I had no clue who they were, but pretended I did. So I was talking to them, and they came to this church. And I have no idea what brought them here. But I know what they need. Jesus tells us what every man needs and every woman needs. They need forgiveness. Unforgiven sin is what takes people to hell. When you die and you stand before God and He looks at you, He's going to see, okay, that's a sinner or that's someone who's been washed in the blood. Jesus died for their sins. And Jesus' blood covers their sin. The message that we have as believers we share a message, a gospel message, is that Jesus died and forgives you of your sins. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that to this invitation here, if there's someone here that has never received the forgiveness you offer, Lord, I pray they do so tonight. Lord, I just pray that we will look at these three stories here. The story of this woman who just, who just came to you and she didn't care what people thought. She wanted to be forgiven. And Lord, you forgave her. Lord, I think of the story about the unresponsive generation. How they rejected John the Baptist. Lord, they rejected you. And Lord, you predicted. You said they're just not going to respond. And Lord, I also think of the story how John doubted in jail. At his weakest moment, at his weakest point in his life, Lord, you affirmed him greatly you declared he was the greatest man to live god i thank you for the gospel of luke i pray these stories these events that happened in your life speak truth to us i pray we accept your word completely and we don't have any reservation we can't pick or choose what we want to believe we don't believe in a prosperity gospel our hope is only in you lord this invitation lord we give it to you i just pray that we have the boldness and the courage to respond tonight in jesus name we pray Amen. We always close the service with invitation. This is the gospel call. I'll be standing up front. You can come up here and pray. You can come up here and make a decision. This is your time to respond this evening. Let's stand together. Gene's going to lead us in a song, I Surrender All. Hymn number 433. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee my blood Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. We will be back here Wednesday night. We'll be studying our Bibles, so we are going through, we're going to look at Samuel, we're, we're going to wrap up our study on him.
And then after that, we're on Wednesday night, we're going to study the crucifixion. We're going to spend some time studying the cross. We didn't get a lot of time to study that uh, leading up to um, Easter and Good Friday. So we'll, that's our next Wednesday night schedule. So I invite you back here at 6.30 this Wednesday. Gene? All right. We're going to end tonight by singing the chorus, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord.